You're listening to Token Talks, brought to you by Wing Venture Capital. I'm your host, Zach DeWitt. It's been awesome working with uh, the Gauntlet team. We've just gained a lot of insights in how to think about practical game theory. There's something about a Nash equilibrium on paper. There's another thing about a simulation. And having, say, an actual instability emerge organically from the analysis that I think has really been insightful for us. And, you know, as Ray mentioned, I think we've actually had a number of, like, very nice improvements to the core protocol that emerged because the simulation told us and gave us insights. We have a special episode today, as we are joined by both the Gauntlet and the Computable Labs teams. Gauntlet, fresh off of a seed round from First Round Capital and Polychain, is a blockchain simulation platform that ensures protocols and applications are resilient to attacks by bad actors. Launching a public blockchain is significantly more rigid than launching SaaS software, so the developers should run endless simulations and edge case testing before going live. This is where Gauntlet comes in. Simulations provide transparency and greatly reduce the cost of experimentation so that teams can rapidly design, launch, and scale new decentralized systems. One of Gauntlet's customers is Computable Labs, a permissionless protocol that lets anyone easily construct online data markets in any domain. Computable Labs' mission is to make data a shared resource. I think you will greatly enjoy today's episode. Today, we are joined by the Gauntlet team and Computer Labs team. So maybe we can start with the Gauntlet team. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, if you don't mind, please introduce yourselves. I'm Ray. I'm the CTO of Gauntlet. And I'm John. I'm the head of product. Uh, and John and Ray, what were you guys doing before Gauntlet? Uh, so my first career was in high-frequency trading. I spent a bunch of time writing automated market-making strategies for trading fixed income and commodity futures. Uh, prior to Gauntlet, I was at Uber for the last three years where I was working on the marketplace simulation platform and we were using simulation to test out new pricing algorithms for drivers uh, as well as autonomous vehicles. Great. So most recently I was at Gigster, a platform for hiring software development teams mm-hmm. where I managed their marketplace. And uh, before that, Microsoft and Goldman Sachs. This is my first job in crypto. Um, so I used to spend my nights reading white papers for fun. Now I get to just say that I'm working late. Great, great. And what is Gauntlet? So Gauntlet is a platform for blockchain testing and analysis and simulation. The goal of Gauntlet is to uh, help help you know, teams iterate faster in the crypto space and for you know, consumers and users of these platforms to have increased confidence in these protocols. And the reason why this is so important, obviously, is because when you do move to mainnet, it's very hard to make changes. So you want to make sure that you're thinking through all of your incentives, um, behavioral economics, and crypto economics um, that are important before we actually launch, right? Is that is that the idea behind Gauntlet? Yeah. So right now, decentralized governance is, is pretty hard, right? So once something is live on the mainnet, uh, large-scale changes become very difficult, if not impossible, to make. We want to give teams and users the tools to kind of best understand these incentive mechanisms ahead of like a wide-scale launch. Yeah, the traditional move fast, break things uh, methodology isn't really applicable in blockchain. And so, you know, we kind of hope to fill in the gaps there and help people build systems and deploy them with confidence. 
I can't think of any objection to using Gauntlet. Is there any reason why someone wouldn't use Gauntlet? I feel like anyone that's launching a protocol uh, would want to do simulations, would want to do the proper testing and and make sure all the edge cases are accounted for. Yeah, there's not not really a downside to using Gauntlet. It gives, simulation gives you another perspective on the properties uh, analysis of your system. Uh, you know, the only downside is really you know the time spent doing this analysis, and you know that's what the Gauntlet platform helps to solve. We want to make the barrier of entry to building these simulation models as low as possible. Walk me through some examples. Um, so, what what does the Gauntlet simulation help test for? What is that experience like as a, as a new protocol using Gauntlet? So, yeah, taking a quick step back, the Gauntlet product uh, that we plan on launching soon is. Uh, going to be kind of a hosted Python notebook, uh, so a hosted Jupyter notebook. It's a kind of front-end interface that a lot of engineers and data scientists are already familiar uh, working with. And the idea is that you can use this notebook to design uh, your simulation models. Users will be able to change parameters and define new simulation scenarios, define what agents do in, in the protocol very easily. You can kind of think of an analogy like how TensorFlow or PyTorch uh, makes it really easy to build complicated neural networks uh, you know, from machine learning. So in traditional software, you normally go to market with a particular pricing model and adjust it if that doesn't align with demand. But when building distributed systems, it can be hard to change these systems after release, as you know, as we've discussed, right? So and in these systems, prices are often set by market equilibria that are a result of different protocol parameterizations that are hard to reason about or predict without sophisticated statistical models. As more users enter the system, this can create really extreme outcomes. Like I think in the Bitcoin, or Bitcoin's a great example, you saw really slow transaction times and high transaction fees in times of congestion. And statistical modeling can help you understand where your simulation breaks down, allow you to test possible fixes. So you can even use it to suggest possible parameterizations that might maximize your objectives, for instance, the smallest effective uncle reward to minimize inflation in a um, proof of work system. Yeah, so Bit- Bitcoin's 10 years old, and I'm sure did not do much simulation testing before launching. Ethereum is a few years old, and I'm sure also probably didn't do too much simulation testing. Have, have any of the protocols that have launched um, actually done simulation testing, or is this a new product that's basically makes a ton of sense to do before launching? Some of the projects we talked to, particularly the larger or more well-funded ones, are building some version of an in-house simulation. I think that's one sign that you know people are recognizing that this is an important way to analyze protocols. One of the concrete use cases for Gauntlet is you know in consensus protocol design, as you mentioned. In a lot of these new consensus protocols, a lot of simplifying assumptions are made about network latencies and the network topologies uh, in order to be able to prove properties about the safety and liveness of the network formally. But with simulation, you can you can have a more realistic model for how nodes are connected in the network to have a kind of more realistic, um, more realistic model. And what are some um, use cases for Gauntlet? So we talked about, um, you know, doing simulations pre-launch. Are there certain areas of the protocol's performance that you're really testing for? Are there any post-launch uh, use cases for Gauntlet as well? We try to work with clients throughout the development cycle. So in the beginning, that can mean doing early simulations to make sure that the high-level mechanics of the incentive mechanism are, are designed correctly. As teams get closer to launch, uh, we help them with doing some parameter tuning and parameter optimization to make sure that the network will have the properties that they expect. 
And then finally, post-launch, we can help teams by integrating live data into uh, the simulations to make sure that the model is actually reflective of what's going on in the real world. Yeah, we've talked a lot about how hard it is to update these systems after they launch. And that difficulty really stems from the fact that you need to get everyone to agree on you know, what changes you want to make. And you know, you've seen a lot of protocols struggle with this. And so I think that one way Gauntlet can help is by providing some statistical guarantees around outcomes that will prevent people from FUD from taking over. One of the things you've seen recently is Tezos had a uh, governance vote on chain where they wanted to make two really small changes to their protocol. And if you look in the discussion forums online, there's a lot of consternation about it. And then they were eventually able to push those through. But I think that as protocols try to make bigger changes, people will want more information about how they can be sure that that won't affect them negatively, mm -hmm. people being the participants in the protocol. And so I think that Gauntlet would be a really great tool to help people move forward with confidence. Yeah, it's really interesting as you think about these protocols that are launching and they obviously have very different business models and traditional companies. And with Gauntlet, you have the opportunity to both charge effectively a SaaS fee, a normal kind of software fee, but there also seems to be the potential you could actually uh, be re uh, receiving tokens. Uh, so your incentives are aligned and making sure that you know, the protocol is functioning properly and correctly. And if it does so, you know, there will be some token appreciation, which you guys can be aligned with and benefit from. H how have you guys started to think about your pricing model? It's actually really important for us to be a neutral third party. You know, we don't want someone to worry about because we uh, helped one of their competitors that, oh, maybe we're not able to help them because we have some vested interest in their competitor's success. Or we wouldn't want people to think that maybe uh, we wouldn't follow responsible disclosure because we had, you know, we're holding tokens. And so, you know, we're just kind of crossing our fingers to hope that maybe some vulnerability that we uncovered wasn't, um, you know, addressed and taken care of, et cetera, because we'd have some sort of undue incentives there. So, or there'd be undue influence, I guess. Mm -hmm. Great. And then what is your, how do you think about go to market? Obviously there's a lot of protocols being built right now. You know, you have a team of, sounds like a team of four. Um, how, how are you guys focused on, on some early customer wins? As Ray talked about a little bit already, we have a hosted platform where we integrate customers' protocols as well as work with them to build out um, simulations and analyses. Mm -hmm. You know, right now we're working with customers who can work with us to publish research and content. We really want to get the word out about what we're doing and why it's essential to building secure and successful mm -hmm. decentralized systems. Right now we're continuing to work with customers about the product lifecycle. As Ray mentioned, you know, it's it's not just pre-release where these simulations are useful. It also helps people make changes. And we want to be a trusted partner throughout the development lifecycle to help people build these decentralized systems. Yeah. Very cool. Um, great. So maybe we can move over to Computable for, for a couple minutes. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Please introduce yourself. I'm Bart. I'm the CTO of Computable. And what were you doing before Computable? So I spent a lot of time in the AI drug discovery world. I started a popular open source project there, wrote a couple of deep learning textbooks as well. I uh, got fascinated with the ability of crypto to enable gathering of new and interesting data sets, which is part of you know, the origin story behind Computable. Great. And what is Computable? So Computable attempts to build a protocol for fairly valuing and governing data sets. Mm -hmm. So the goal is to enable the construction of data sets that aren't feasible to construct today and do so in a fashion that fairly rewards everyone who participated in the construction of this data. So right now we have this essential surveillance economy. People are stripped and exploited to gather the data. They don't see any fair rewards for it. 
Our goal is to help reverse and control this process and make it more fair for everyone who participates. Now, this is, I think, one of the most exciting use cases for blockchains, right? Is that it, blockchains can solve a coordination problem and data is a huge coordination problem. So, um, you know, as I was preparing for this, this podcast and, and reading a bunch of materials you put out, uh, it was just very, very quickly resonated with me how powerful this could be. So I'm um, really excited to keep the conversation going. So talk about uh, where are you guys with Computable? I mean, how, how far along are you? And with that, what do you think some of the, the first kind of use cases will be? So at Computable, we've been developing the protocol, I'd say, for a little over a year now. We've gone through a lot of design iterations. We had, I think, you know, a number of cycles where we really kind of drilled into what does this mean? And we've gotten progressively more real and kind of built a number of test sets where we iterated on various versions of the protocol. Right now, I think we're getting pretty close to something that we're feeling good about. A big part of this has been due to our work with Gauntlet, making sure that we can simulate and really drill down and test what the protocol feels like. And we are basically sprinting towards launching. I'm not going to say a specific date when because the process is challenging, but we're feeling good. That's amazing. Congratulations on all the progress. So what would be one of the first applications for Computable? Would it be in healthcare space where um, users could be incentivized to uh, share their data in a very private and protected way and be compensated uh, for that access? So my personal background, of course, is in more in the drug discovery biotech world. And that was, I think, part of our original intent to enable new applications for human health. But I think at the same time, it's not the right first application for data markets in general, I think. There's a lot of compliance issues. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like regulatory needs, which I think are needed protections for real consumers. Mm-hmm. As a, a participant in the healthcare system myself, I'm really glad my data isn't being shipped out to <laughs> who knows what. We think there are some other more friendly use cases. We're kind of still iterating and finding the right mix. But I think we have a couple of good hypotheses, but likely no actual health data, at least in the early days, not until everything is like very battle-tested. And is the idea for a consumer that he or she can be compensated for sharing their data and, and you know, they can kind of toggle on and off what forms of data are being shared and um, when they're being shared and with whom they're being shared? Or what, what types of kind of permission controls does the user have? So I think the absolute one is that the ability to delete data at any time. That I think is the first and critical guarantee. The other, I think, critical guarantee is ownership. So we think that Right now, if your data is being gathered by an app, I have no say in how Google does anything with it. Our goal is to turn the creators of the data sets, the makers as we call them, into partial owners. And as with, say, unions, the goal is like if you provide makers a fair share of the data set, they now have governance rights. They can coordinate, they can vote, they can influence changes. What the data market, as we call it, does with the data set is a question of communal governance. And there are other voices. It's not just the makers. Maybe you have an investor, maybe you have entrepreneurs, maybe you have storage and compute providers. All of these participants should have a voice, but critically, so too should the makers. What's the form factor for the user? Am I um, sharing on a website? Am I sharing through my mobile app? How am I interacting with Computable? So we're still experimenting with a few modalities. Mm -hmm. Like we've played with variants of a number of these. I think we're still kind of pinning down the precise form and the precise kind of first critical use cases. But any of these, I think, could be possibilities in the long term. My guess is different types of data will require different form factors. If, say, for example, it's a very large data set, it might not make sense to upload it via mobile, for example. Other data sets, maybe you're taking pictures of birds for a science project. 
that seems like very mobile-centric data market. So I think we'll need a variety of tools is a long-winded answer. Maybe, um, you know, looking at the 30,000 foot view, uh, how, how do you think blockchains will transform and revolutionize data sharing uh, relative to where we are today? This is a great question. And I think the heart of it really is around governance. So it is possible to share data today. In fact, Google shares your data freely. But I think the goal really is let's make it a question of governance. Let's use the blockchain to provide provenance, to provide tracking of what's done with the data. And let's track essentially your ownership stake in these data sets so that maybe I contributed 1% of that data set. It makes sense that I should have at least a 1% voice in what's done with it. It's not just me, but I'm a part of it. So it's really the governance. And I think also the fair valuation, making sure that if I contributed data of high value, I'm rewarded adequately in return. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a timely project to be working on, given everything that's been happening and consumer concerns around data privacy and data sharing, especially with the last presidential election. So I feel like there's a lot of good political and activist tailwinds behind uh, what you're building in terms of, you know, people's general concerns with more data provenance and, and transparency. So great. Bringing this conversation together, maybe you guys could tell me a little bit about what it's been like to work together and, and how you guys are actually co-working together. So yeah, I think it's been pretty collaborative from the start. We've been working with Computable for quite some time now, and we started you know, when they're pretty early in their kind of protocol design phase. They've, they've made a few significant changes to the protocol based off of some of the simulation results that we've been able to, to run. Um, and we've also been gathering a lot of really valuable feedback from them uh, in terms of our platform and product. And are you guys uh, sharing an office together in San Francisco? Yeah. So we are uh, right up kind of in North SF. Uh, it's been great kind of hanging out with these folks on a daily basis. I think to kind of second what Ray said, it's been awesome working with uh, the Gauntlet team. Mm-hmm. We've just gained a lot of insights in how to think about practical game theory. Mm-hmm. There's something about a Nash equilibrium on paper. There's another thing about a simulation and having, say, an actual instability emerge organically from the analysis that I think has really been insightful for us. And, you know, as Ray mentioned, I think we've actually had a number of like very nice improvements to the core protocol that emerged because the simulation told us and gave us insights. So for any teams listening, definitely recommend working with these folks. So for Gauntlet, you know, taking what you've learned from Computable, being very focused on um, data sharing in the data marketplace, do you then want to go work with similar customers to Computable or given that you've spent so much time together or is, is the product more generalizable where you can go work with all different types of uh, kind of blockchain protocol applications? Yeah, so we find from the, you know, from the customers that we've talked to, we see that a lot of people are facing the same kinds of design challenges over and over again. In a lot of these protocols, there's an issue of, of of liquidity early on, right? There's some kind of you know token or some kind of second mechanism that grows with you know early adoption, and so bootstrapping liquidity is a problem that's you know seen in traditional markets, but you know very much seen in crypto right now because everything is uh, still so uh, early stage, and so a lot of the mechanics around bounding curves and automated uh, market making contracts are things that many teams are looking into, and you know zooming out slightly. Uh, there are a lot of design patterns that show up in the crypto space over and over again. So if you think about the you know the voting mechanism that Computable uses for validating data 
uh, for their data markets. This you know closely resembles uh, other other things in the crypto space, like for example, token curated registries uh, or you know decentralized uh, voting uh, governance or even uh, proof of stake. And so you know once we have a set of agents that is kind of well trained for handling you know one of these uh, use cases. Um, it's relatively easy to port over similar logic to be able to solve other problems in the space. And you know, because these protocols are so difficult to design, teams are not going to want to reinvent the wheel every single time. And so we think that the industry as a whole will trend towards having like a relatively small set of these uh, crypto economic primitives that are reused in many different forms. And so you know, if uh, Gauntlet's platform has good models for you know, understanding the behavior for, you know, for, for some of these, then we can uh, potentially reach a lot of the customers in the space. You know, one thing we're, we're always looking at when making early stage investments is, is this startup just selling to other startups? And, you know, sometimes there's unique challenges and concerns with that. As you guys think about, you know, working with basically exclusively with other early stage blockchain projects, are, are there any challenges that, that may come with that of staying, you know, natively in this ecosystem and you are selling to other early stage blockchain projects? Well, I think the biggest challenge right now is platform fragmentation. So Bitcoin is 10 years old now, but most of the other projects in the space have not been around for nearly that long. And it just takes a lot of time to, you know, you know for example, there's a lot of different underlying blockchains. The cl- blockchain clients are written in multiple different programming languages. There are a lot of different smart contract languages. The developer ecosystem and development tools for all these things are just not mature yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially if we're kind of building in the de- developer tool space, yeah, it's hard to get alignment in a lot of these things. And what's up next on both the Gauntlet and Computable product roadmaps? Ray started to touch on one of the problems we're trying to solve, which is that there's a lot of fragmentation in the in the space, especially technically. And so what we're hoping to do is over time build out more turnkey solutions for different tech stacks. For instance, like maybe you can automatically update your Ethereum contract and it it kicks off new simulations. Right now we still have like an integration step there that we have to go through. So we're hoping to make that experience uh, much smoother for the uh, customers we work with. And then besides that, we're just really focused on building out our core simulation engine, adding to our library of protocols and agents. Uh, We wanna make sure we have most of the primitives uh, needed to express uh, most protocols and most agents. Lastly, it's also important for us to automatically integrate our simulations with live blockchain and market data where we can. Using this live data is really helpful at tuning our simulations to provide more accurate predictions about blockchain behavior and uh, user behavior. And so this also shortens the development feedback loop so teams can iterate faster and ensures that you know our simulation models are actually representative of the real world. Mm-hmm. And lastly, I think that you know, over time, we really want to move from a, a place where we're not just working with developers. We want to work with other participants in the blockchain ecosystem, whether it's users, investors, and uh, help build trust for them, help them answer questions about how blockchains behave, yeah, and sort of branch out just from the developer space. And I think on our end, we're heads down just focused on making the protocol more and more real. Like, as I mentioned, we've had a number of test nets. We are really battle testing the protocol by gathering some real interesting data sets and sprinting towards getting it out live on mainnet. 
Yeah, it's really interesting just reflecting on this conversation that both the Gauntlet and Computable teams really emphasized governance and how important governance is. And governance has been, I mean, for Bitcoin, governance has been very limited. Bitcoin's a very slow moving and difficult protocol to change. Ethereum is going through some governance issues right now. And Tezos, a big part of their protocol design was governance. So it's great to hear that you guys are both very focused on on governance and what that means and whether it's simulated governance, testing for governance, and also, you know, really having it be a core cornerstone of, of the computable framework. That's great to hear. And it's, it's always nice to have a really willing and accessible design partner as you build out your, your first kind of product. So that's great to hear you guys working together so, so well and collaborating um, so closely. So maybe we can move a little bit and just talk about the crypto ecosystem and landscape. You guys are uh, both very close to uh, what's being built right now and and kind of the state of the art. So opening up to both of you guys, but what are some important trends right now you're you're seeing in, in crypto? I always think it's fun to with these kind of questions to say something as controversial as possible. Fred, please, please do. And so I think actually emerging trend in crypto is actually centralization. Uh, and I swear I'm not just trolling here. Uh, so I'll give some examples. In the highest level, people are realizing that centralization has value, but decentralizing everything is like one of the most complicated ways to extract that value where you, where you need it. And so um, I think some of the ways you see centralization making some headwinds in crypto is first with like trusted systems are a pretty good on-ramp to decentralized systems. And for instance, like another company uh, that works in our space, as we mentioned, we worked in the same office, they're called Decent and they're a decentralized healthcare company putting healthcare risk pools on the blockchain. They hope to use blockchain for, amongst other things, to fix incentivization issues in healthcare. There's a lot of sort of moral hazards that affect uh, the efficiency of the healthcare system. And use everyone's seen in the US, healthcare costs can be astronomically high. And I think that blockchain could really add a lot of value there. But as we've mentioned, it's pretty hard to both design and update complicated decentralized systems. Healthcare, certainly very complicated. You probably want to have a very good idea of how you want your smart contracts to work. And it's really hard to do that um, without having customers. So Decent is live selling health insurance in Austin, Texas right now. And they plan to use that knowledge from the pilot they've started in Austin to help them build a decentralized system later with a ton of confidence and information about how exactly they want it to work. And uh, the second thing about decentralization is that it doesn't always produce different outcomes in centralized solutions. Like in a competitive market for centralized solutions can provide very similar outcomes for, for users. I think one example of this is with oracles. And you know, a lot of people have done amazing work on decentralized oracles and making progress there. But I think a lot of these solutions end up, as I mentioned, looking very similar to what would happen in a competitive market of centralized solutions. So all of these oracles use a reputation system to incentivize the correct behavior. You know, you need to have some penalties or, you know, the promise of future profits from participating as an oracle in these systems to incentivize correct behavior on any one piece of data that people provide with these oracles. And reputation tends to coalesce around a few big players in the market. And the more reputation you have, the more money you can make by providing data. And, um, you know, it's actually a really interesting research paper from MIT that has looked at the compounding wealth and proof of stake and shown how there are similar mechanisms in the proof of stake market that I think actually extend to oracles as well. And when you have these reputation systems, in the end, as they become successful and incentivize participation, it incentivizes the participation, especially of the couple people that will win. Maybe it's just one person, maybe it's sort of an oligarchy of companies. Mm -hmm. And so this looks really similar to just having a couple 
centralized oracles from which you can choose. Because in the end, it's just maybe three or four people providing data. Okay. For any one piece of data, you know, you end up using one of them to provide it. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. It's well said. I mean, another trend that I think is uh, interesting to point out in space is uh, the DeFi thesis or decentralized finance. I think we're getting to the point where a lot of the a lot of these uh, protocols are kind of already at or exceed the kind of performance of a lot of the existing kind of payments exchange uh, derivatives infrastructure uh, that already exists. And so I think the next year or two should be really interesting from that perspective to see if these protocols can actually gain uh, real user adoption. I've rallied behind centralization here a little bit and decentralization will be disrupting value, valuable. Don't get me wrong. You know, I think Ronald Coase has a really good model for understanding these systems, and I don't think decentralization has invalidated or changed that. To put it in his terms, decentralization will increase the number of organizations that have higher internal transaction costs than external, but it won't drive it to zero. Mm -hmm. So, of course, it will replace lots of businesses with markets, but not all of them. I think on my answer, I'm really excited to see the deployment of proof-of-stake systems live. We've been, I think, seeing an increasing complexity in the validator sets considered. For example, Cosmos has perhaps like 100 validators. Polkadot may be targeting 1,000. E2.0, what is it, 400,000 now? And I think this is going to progressively battle test proof of stake and see, is this really a worthy successor for proof of work? Will the issues with collusion, with cartels, with bribery be solved? I don't know yet, but I think it's a very fascinating problem space to watch. So, so far, the quote-unquote killer use cases for crypto have been store value, peer-to-peer uh, -peer payments, um, you know, some trading and speculation, uh, and obviously fundraising. I mean, that what we saw in the ICO boom was, was a, certainly a, a really strong killer use case. As we think about the evolution of the blockchain ecosystem, what do you guys see as some potential um, kind of next wave strong use cases for, for blockchains? One thing could be uh, prediction markets such as Augur or Veil. You know, these protocols will allow for really lowering the barriers of entry for uh, customized risk transfer. This market of custom derivatives is something that's currently only accessible to institutions and wealthy clients at this point. And so being able to have similar uh, services to allow either individuals or smaller and medium-sized businesses to, to uh, hedge some of their risks is going to be very valuable. So I think... Personally, I'm most excited actually about scaling. I think the last boom taught us a lot of hard lessons about what doesn't scale in crypto. I've been seeing a lot of teams just really heads down, working really hard at it. I don't think it's solved yet, but I think the next time around, we might be pleasantly surprised that these systems are more robust than we thought they were. So obviously, as our lives move more online, we're generating more and more data every day. How do you think about the value of this data going forward? And how do you think about the next wave of data sharing and kind of data ownership? So I think one book that has been really influential for me recently informing my views on data has been uh, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. Yes. Highly recommended to anyone thinking about these issues. I think the first thing is to pause and realize that data is even more valuable than we thought it was. It doesn't just control, say, the economy the way oil does. But I think in some sense, it's a gateway into our thoughts. We need to be extraordinarily careful with data. And I think that as discerning consumers, I think we should start thinking seriously about limiting the amount of data we emit into the online world. 
I think part of the motivation behind Computable is to slow down and realize that data is something that is valuable, that should be governed, that should be participated in, something like a political process. It shouldn't be harvested, scraped, and pulled out by tech companies seeking to make a quick buck. Now, that said, I think the engine is massive, and I don't see Facebook necessarily changing their views anytime soon. But remains to be seen what happens. I think there's a lot of forces in the world, like regulatory, GDPR, and we'll have to see how that game plays out. Another thing I wanted to ask you guys, um, you both talked about your backgrounds and you know you, you you have some deep experience in machine learning. Obviously, writing textbooks is, is quite quite impressive, but maybe you could talk a little bit about how Gauntlet and Computable think about using machine learning and you know apply some of the best in class um, kind of AI techniques. One thing that's been a bit of an education for me is how actual little overlap there's been between the machine learning and cryptographic communities. I'm going to get technical for a minute here, but part of this has to do with differences in the math. Machine learning is all about calculus. Cryptography is all about really discrete math. And one thing that we found is that it's actually very hard to do proper cryptographic machine learning. We have a little bit of research we've done into how you can lay these foundations out. But I think that there's just a lot of foundational work that needs to be done there before you can really leverage machine learning in cryptographic settings. Yeah, one one thing I'm so excited about for the future of crypto is I do think that digital wallets will be ubiquitous as email addresses, right? Everyone will have a digital wallet where they'll be able to control different investments, control their different assets, um, control their data, and have more ownership and autonomy of their financial uh, information. So that that's going to be super exciting. It sounds like both your projects, both Gauntlet and Computable, are really uh, helping push that forward and uh, will be two of the most important projects in the space going forward. Yeah, as I mentioned before, one of Gauntlet's uh, major goals is to kind of reduce the amount of effort uh, for the user to kind of build these simulation mm-hmm. models. And you know, in the in the long term, I think that uh, machine learning, or in particular reinforcement learning, uh, will play a large role in that. Uh, the primary bottleneck for doing that in the short term is that you know things like reinforcement learning require a tremendous amount of data. Yeah. And given that it's still a little bit early in the ecosystem, uh, there, there's just not a super rich data set that we can train these agent models on. Mm-hmm. But the way that we've uh, architected our platform and designed our simulation interface uh, allows us to kind of plug in uh, machine learning models to train agents in a more automated fashion in the future. Um, but I think we need to get to the point where we have enough of a data set to train on. Yeah, hey, uh, Ray, how would you describe uh, agent-based modeling? So if you take a quick look at how some of the, uh, you know, how, how people are testing blockchain protocols today, people are uh, focused on, people are focused on, you know, the, you know, logic of the contract itself, right? So, you know, this, this starts with writing, you know, in traditional software development, you start with unit tests in the crypto space. People have extended this to doing kind of uh, formal verification or security audits. And all these things are just making sure that, you know, the code does what it's intended to. However, these are all looking at the contract from like a single user's perspective. Like if I'm one person using this contract and I call this function, what's going to happen? Uh, What we focus on at Gauntlet is the kind of multi-agent aspect of this. You know, if you deploy a contract on the mainnet, you're going to have hundreds or thousands of people interacting with this contract. Um, So agent-based simulation allows you to model things from the perspective of individual users. Uh, You can describe 
how users are going to uh, interact with this contract, how are they rewarded for interacting with a contract, what types of users are in the system, you know, how many of them uh, are likely to be adversarial and try to do malicious things to the system, and how many of them are rational, and what does it mean to be rational in, in this context. And so the benefit of Asian-based simulation is that you have this model, and obviously modeling the real world is, you know, is very complicated, but at least with uh, this multi-agent simulation, you can break down the model into a lot of really small modular pieces, uh, you know, pieces that include like how a person would make one particular decision to interact with a contract or not. And it's really powerful because these small pieces are relatively in independent and can be and easily modified and easy to understand. But when you put them all together, uh, a lot of times the emergent properties in the network can be almost counterintuitive to what you might expect. Is some of the secret sauce with Gauntlet the explainability in that, you know, you can basically go back to Computable and say, hey, um, you know, this is why the simulation came out to the way it's showing right now. And we can go back and do these tweaks and it will have a different outcome. You know, we, we spent a ton of time looking at um, AI powered companies and explainability is a huge issue for them. Um, so is that something that you guys uh, can really do well with this agent based modeling? Yeah, that's definitely that's something that's uh, top of mind. And I think uh, drawing machine learning analogy is very appropriate, especially when uh, when we're just starting out. It's really important that people can really easily understand what the model is doing and you know have the knowledge to be able to uh, change individual parameters or change different assumptions about the model. And yeah, this is something that is generally harder to do in a machine learning model at the current time. And how can our listeners follow the progress of both Computable and Gauntlet if they want to uh, work with either of you guys? You know, wh wh where should they go or how should they get in touch? So you can follow Gauntlet on Twitter at Gauntlet Network. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to get updates about what we're working on, you can go to gauntlet.network and sign up for our newsletter. And for Computable, you can also follow us on Twitter and check out our website and our blog. The key takeaways from today's episode are, one, decentralized systems create new challenges for protocol developers, smart contract developers, and asset holders that are not seen in traditional development and investing. Gauntlet is building a blockchain simulation and testing platform that leverages battle-tested techniques from other industries to emulate interactions in crypto networks. And two, at Computable Labs, they're building an open source technology to make it not just possible, but also profitable to trade and exchange data. Thank you for listening to the show. We're trying to make the crypto ecosystem more mainstream and welcoming. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star review in iTunes and share this with one person you know who is trying to learn more about crypto technology. You can reach me on Twitter at Zachary DeWitt or email me at Zach at wing.vc.